Gracious Father, when we think of the Christmas story, we are struck by your infinite love for your creation. We wonder out loud with the psalmist, what is man that you are mindful of us? And we answer along with him, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who is there in heaven but you, Yahweh, who would dare to condescend to his people in the form of the most vulnerable, lowly, and helpless? You have demonstrated your power because in the weakness of creation, your strength was perfected in Jesus. We praise you, Father, that you have used the meek and the mild to humble the proud and the haughty. It was no small thing to inhabit your creation and to dwell among us, first as a helpless babe, then as a child training in righteousness and justice, and finally as a man, the perfect man, who is tempted in every way as we are and yet remaining faithful. We praise you, Jesus, for your steadfastness and for your endurance, for the joy set before you. Because of your unfailing love, you endured the struggles of life and faced an unjust punishment and death in a way that shows us God's gracious, God's humble, God's compassionate, and God's merciful character. Jesus, we have heard the good news delivered to those shepherds by the heavenly host that first Christmas morning that a savior, the anointed one, has been born. Jesus, empower us by your spirit to praise you as the angels did. May we rejoice at the sight of our promised king and say, glory to God in the highest. Jesus, we praise you that you became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We praise you that because of your light, we may boast in your glory. Father, call to our minds your love, your holiness, and your glory as we continue to worship you and offer our lives as humble offerings to you. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus our King, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tyler. Well, I wonder if we went out into some far-reaching corner of the earth, say the Amazon, perhaps, and we took someone who had never heard of Christmas and picked them up and plopped them down in the middle of any country that celebrates Christmas, I wonder what they would think. The lights, the presents, the abundance of food and drink. I wonder if all they saw was how we celebrated, if they would automatically connect it to the lowly beginnings of Christmas that we have already heard about in our readings. How did we get from there to here? How did we get from the story that we've heard in Luke to what our celebration of Christmas looks like today? Even in Christian homes that minimize the materialism and minimize the secularism, how did we get from those lowly beginnings to boasting and celebrating at Christmas time? After all, what was there to celebrate in the lowly origins of Christmas? Now, as we heard in the passage from Luke 2, the background of the Christmas story was a bleak one. It was not surrounded by a precious moment's feel or a cartoon character shepherd and sheep smiling from ear to ear. The political world of the day was in conflict, to say the least. The land of Judea had long proven difficult for the Romans to govern, and the world at the time of Luke II was no different. And so a census was taken to understand what the population was like and how many military-aged men were in Judea and could possibly rebel against the Romans. 
For there were too many factions and forces in Judea that would have loved to have overpowered Rome and kicked them out of the Jewish homeland. The background of this scene is one of warfare, one of politics. And at the same time as this greater background of chaos in the surrounding world, there was a young couple that was dealing with chaos of their own, Joseph and Mary, who were walking through a form of a tumultuous betrothal. You all probably know the story. By this point, Mary was showing as very pregnant, but no one outside the betrothal fully knew who the father was. And rather than divorce her quietly, Joseph had been convinced through the visitation of an angel that he should marry her and be an earthly father to this baby actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the minds of those that knew Mary and Joseph, this was a baby that was conceived out of wedlock and was therefore an illegitimate child and an illegitimate heir to Joseph's family name. In that day and age, can you even imagine the looks and the assumptions, the feeling of being cast out of society that they must have endured? This is surely not the beginnings of someone of high importance that would be exalted and lifted up. But these two young people, probably the age of some of our middle schoolers or high schoolers, they were required, even in the midst of all the drama of their life, to go to Bethlehem to be registered in the census. And if things weren't already bad enough for them, while they were on the journey, Mary goes into labor. Can you even imagine what that trip was like? Now, I don't know about any of the other fathers in this room, but when my wife was giving birth to our children, this was absolutely not the scenario I would have wanted her to be in. When they went to find a place in which she could labor and give birth, they attempted to go to the inn and ask for a room. Now, maybe it was because of the census and the number of people that were in town. More likely, it was probably because the innkeeper could see that she was about to give birth. Either way, there was no place found for them. Not only were they outcasts based on societal norms of the day, but now they were practical outcasts with nowhere to go. So they sauntered back over to their donkey, unhitched it, and were about ready to go find a place to go. But somehow, as they were doing that, they found this stable, a place where it later says that there was a manger that was used for the feeding of animals. It may have been the manger right there next to the inn. And the, that manger was nothing more than a feeding trough for beasts of burden. Most likely, it was a roughed-in shelter or cave filled with these same animals, donkeys and sheep and oxen. It was there that Mary gave birth. And when Jesus was born, he was not given a scepter and a throne. He was not visited by dignitaries of foreign kingdoms. You could say the wise men later on in life were that. But in this case, they were not. This young baby was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in an animal trough the lowly origins of Christmas. And yet at this point in the story, we know that something miraculous is happening because angels appear to shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. This is an odd group to be the first to know what is happening, for shepherds were seen as the lowest level of society's hierarchy. But this did not matter because these angels announced something to this lowly band of shepherds that shook the cosmos. The one whom the Jews had been waiting for to reconcile them and the rest of creation to God and lead them in victory, the one who will save humanity from their sin, he has finally come. But did you notice in our readings that even then, the sign that is given to these lowly shepherds is odd from an earthly perspective? 
The sign that was given was, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's a pretty normal thing, isn't it? Lying in a manger. Friends, this is not too dissimilar from the sign that the Lord gave to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, a name which means God with us. The sign that this was the Savior and cosmic king was the lowliness of his origins. That was the sign that God gave to mankind, the lowliness of his origins. That he was a vulnerable and fragile newborn baby, swaddled and helplessly bound. And yet this would be the one that would break us free from our sin and the power of death. He was lying in a manger, the dirtiest and lowliest of circumstances. And yet this would be the one that would take his seat on a throne at the right hand of the almighty king and creator of the universe. Why is it that the lowly origins would be the sign? Well, because the lowly nature of Christ points to his otherworldly glory. The lowly nature of Christ points to his otherworldly glory. You see, the story of Christmas does not start here. It starts all the way back in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In Genesis, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were given the task of subduing and conquering the created world in the name of the creator God. They were, in essence, given the role of subregents or assistant royalty to rule over creation in the name of God. But along came one that was the adversary of God in the form of a serpent, one who desired to sow chaos into creation. And he convinced Eve, and by extension Adam, to dismiss God and view him as untrustworthy. It was a better idea, the serpent suggested, for Adam and Eve to do as they thought right, and then they could usurp the power of the Almighty. They too, this serpent declared, could be gods. But as soon as they attempted this coup of power by ignoring God's command and eating of that which he declared to be evil, they realized that they had given up their role as stewards and rulers of creation. And the world was now thrust into captivity and depravity and sin. Right away, Adam and Eve separated from one another, blamed one another, and forsook their own responsibility and conviction. From this point on, humility, or excuse me, humanity and really all of creation was marked by a greedy, power-hungry, arrogant, prideful, and rebellious heart. And this, dear friends, is why we do things the way we do things in the world. We glory in violence. We get sucked into political intrigue and power grabbing. And when a person whom we have decided we support gets placed into power, even if it is for a short time, we pridefully want them to take a seat on the throne and grab the royal crown and crown themselves. We enjoy the pomp and circumstance because we feel in some weird, twisted way that we ourselves are being high and lifted up in all our glory. But as we have seen far too many times in history, and even in the last few years, this never goes well. There is, in fact, no one righteous enough to save us from ourselves. There is no earthly Savior save Jesus Christ. And there is nothing of this world that can save us. We needed something otherworldly, something which only God could do. You see, God's ethics, God's economy, and God's society work in a completely different manner. In his kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In his family, the older shall serve the younger. In his economy, it is the poor in spirit that are those who will receive the kingdom of heaven. And as the one that was coming into the world to be perfect, 
and to be the perfect spotless sacrifice for the sins of the world, even in his birth, he was already fulfilling that kingdom vision. The story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is completely foolish when we think about it from our worldly perspective. Why would someone who was born in this circumstance be the one who reigns over the kingdom of God? Christ came not to usurp or grab power, but to serve perfectly and righteously and obediently so that he would be given the ultimate authority by the Father God. For it was not just his origins that were lowly, but his life and ministry and death were lowly as well. He was raised under the gloom of an illegitimate birth and marriage. He was trained to be a craftsman like his earthly father. He was not a man of high standing. Even in his ministry, he was not trained as a Pharisee or scribe, but he was a lowly, nomadic, and itinerant rabbi. And when it came to his death, the very death for which he was born, it was a criminal, as a criminal, naked in shame, hung on a cross between two thieves, bleeding from his back and his brow, ridiculed with a robe and a crown of thorns, and crucified under a sign that said mockingly, King of the Jews." He was even buried in a borrowed tomb. If this is a savior and king, could there be a more foolish and odd way to exalt him and give him glory? And yet at Christmas and on Good Friday and Easter, we celebrate, we boast, we glory. Paul tells us why this is in our reading from 1 Corinthians. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He goes on, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we and all of creation were dead in our sin, unable to resurrect or save ourselves. And no earthly creation could right the cosmic wrong that had been committed against our benevolent creator God. God alone had the power to solve the problem of sin that we had introduced into the world. And he alone acted. Being born in the likeness of men, yet retaining his full divine nature, he came in the form of his son, Jesus of Nazareth, born as a baby in lowliness and fragility. He ministered for three years as a lowly rabbi, teaching and modeling the kingdom of God. And then he even died in lowliness and fragility. And if the Christmas story ended there, we would have no reason for boasting. We would have no reason for celebrating. For we would still be dead in our sin. But the good news is that three days after he died, Jesus rose from the grave as a victorious and throned king, proving his triumph over death and hell and sin, his triumph over your sin and mine. His lowly origins merely served to highlight his otherworldly glory as present and future king, reigning over those whom he has saved. And so at this time each year, while much of the world celebrates with us, but they are unsure as to what they are celebrating, saddened with all the materialism and when the gluttony wears off, we instead recognize that our celebration is not of ourselves or of our own provision. We instead recognize that Christmas is a time to boast in the Lord. For it is at Christmas that we look through the lens of the lowly beginning, 
lowly life and lowly death of Jesus to a far greater truth. We boast and celebrate because the foolishness of man has become the wisdom of God. We boast because this newborn baby became for us the spotless lamb that has saved us from our sins. We boast because this baby, born amongst beasts of burden, an outcast of society, bore our sorrows and carried our griefs so that we might find a place in our Father's kingdom. We boast because this baby, born in a lowly manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, unshackled us from the sin that ensnares and binds us. And it was because of this that we can see the prophecy of Isaiah come to life in this child. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If there was ever a time to boast and a time to celebrate, it is in the holy days of Christmas and Easter. But we don't boast because of the presence or the food or the family or friends. We don't boast because the days are getting longer and we're on the downhill side of winter. We boast in Christmas because it is a time to celebrate the lowly birth of our reigning king and his otherworldly mission to bring us salvation. It's a time to celebrate that one day we will see our Lord return. And on that day, we will indeed see him as the conquering king, but we will also see him as the sacrificial lamb, bearing the wounds of his humble life and death on our behalf. And so as we celebrate in the hours and days ahead, my prayer for those of us in this room that are the Lord's people is that we can imagine, or excuse me, that we can image rightly to one another and to the world around us who it is that we follow the conquering and reigning king who had the lowliest of beginnings as that child lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The one who is now first and highest in the cosmos was first and foremost a servant of those he came to serve. This Christmas, I pray that we would make sure we know what it is that we are celebrating and in what we are boasting. This Christmas, let's boast in the lowly birth of our king. Amen? Amen.